You guys can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. What I want to talk about this morning is the power of prayer and praise. And I'm going to start here in probably verse 9 in Acts 16. And just to just kind of bring it up to speed here, they've already been directed by the Holy Spirit not to go to two places. In other words, uh, God was speaking to them uh, not to go to these two other cities. And so then Paul has a vision at night, and that's where we're going to kind of pick it up, okay? Verse 9. So a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And that's a picture of God calling, God laying a burden on one of his saints' hearts to go, to go bring the gospel, just like he's done here with us in many ways. I I thought of Patrick when God gave him that vision for Meadowview and when uh, he laid a burden on my heart for this community and how he does with all of us. He lays people on our hearts and they're crying out, help me, help me. And it's the Lord. He's directing us. He's trying to lead us and guide us to people or to places that he's already gone ahead, already prepared the way. There's people there that he's working in and he's looking for people to send to preach the gospel. So that's what's happening here. And they respond immediately. Therefore, verse 11, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and we spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman, woman sorry, named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, Thyatira sorry, who worshiped God and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So again, God was already working. God had supernaturally arranged this meeting. He led them to that place where these people would gather seeking God. They're seeking God. They don't know about the gospel yet, but they're seeking God. They're worshiping God in the best way they can. They're they're knocking, they're seeking, and God sends his servants to share the good news. And they respond. Why? Because God is in it. God has already prepared the way. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But it goes on. And when she, she and her household, and I'm sorry, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded. So not just her, but our whole household. Remember what I shared on Friday night 
about the report from Live Dead, the ministry that we support in the Middle East, and how the Lord led Jennifer, Dick's wife, to this one lady, and how through her, 57 other people, imams, Muslims coming to the Lord, having visions, having dreams of Jesus because of one person. That's how God works. When we're obedient, when we're faithful, when we're led by the Spirit, when He's in it, when He is sending us. So that's what's happening here. So things are pretty good right now, right? Praise the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if that's just how it worked and that's all there was to it? But we got to understand there's someone that doesn't like what's happening and he's taking note and he's the devil and he thinks he's going to thwart what God has determined to do in this city. So we see a woman (laughs) arise in here. Verse 14. Um, It says, now as it happened, verse 16, as we went to prayer, and it really could say to the place of prayer. So they're back maybe at that place where there's people gathering. So they're going to share the gospel again. They're going to that place of prayer. Okay? And here's this lady. (laughs) She's a, a, a slave girl who's possessed, she's demonic, she's possessed with a spirit of divination. She met them and, um, and she, it says she brought her masters much profit by her fortune telling. So there were people in that city using her, making profit off the demonic realm she was operating, fortune telling. I mean, we see that today even. This girl followed Paul and us, and she cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim us the way of salvation. And so when you read that, that's like, wow, that's cool. What's the problem here? Well, first and foremost, she's making it about them. Okay? And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to make it about us or people. And the devil's trying to make it seem like there's some kind of an alliance going on here. But Paul has discernment. See, the enemy comes sometimes as an angel of light. And we need discernment. It might sound like he's for us or a person is for us. But we need discernment. And Paul had discernment. Even though she's seemingly saying, hey, listen to these guys. Hey, they have the word of God. Paul sees through it. He sees through the schemes of the enemy. And so it says she did this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. And a better word would be grieved. Grieved. And knowing, you know, the heart of God uh, that Paul had, grieved for this woman... To see how these men had used her and how she's possessed, um, grieved at just how the enemy works and, and wants to deceive people. There's so many things involved here, but he's grieved. 
Annoyed sounds like, you know, he's just mad and frustrated, but he's grieved. He discerns this is, this is an evil spirit that is harming this girl. It's harming this whole city. It's leading people to hell. And he deals with it immediately. He says to the girl, he says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out that very hour. You know, when God sends us, when we are walking in his will, in his power, there is an authority he gives his people. And it's in the name of Jesus. He has been given all authority. Everything must bow to the name of Jesus. And when we are walking in faith, when we are walking in his plan, in his purposes, he's with us. And Paul understood that authority and he took authority in the name of Jesus and he cast that spirit out of this poor girl. Well, needless to say, uh, people weren't happy, especially the guys that were making money. It says, verse 19, when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities. They brought them to the magistrates and they said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs. They're not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. And I just want to say this. If, if you are going to preach the gospel... In this culture, expect that. If you're going to walk the narrow way, expect this kind of opposition from the world. Because it will go against everything this world is fighting for and wanting. And they saw it. They saw this is not good. These people are going to ruin what we want to happen. That's what's happening right now in this country and all over the world. There's an agenda, and it's not from God. And anyone that threatens that agenda will be dealt with, especially those Christians, the ones that are standing in this hour. See, we can make peace with our enemy. Jesus warned about that, and that's why he said, count the costs. You know, it's like a king going to war. Even though it seems like we're outnumbered, or we are, we need to count the cost, lest when we get in the battle, we make peace. There is no peace between our enemy and God. This is war, and we're on one side or the other, and God has already won. And ultimately, the enemy and his troops will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. In the meantime, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of darkness. And that's what's happening here. It's not just people. It's people that have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. And they are enraged. Then the multitude rose up. And so, again... Everyone gets stirred up. This is happening right now. People are getting stirred up. 
They gathered against them, and the magistrates tore their clothes off. And they commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. So now what? I'm sure the enemy thinks, ha, we got them. That it'll be no harm where they are now. We got them. That's the insanity of our enemy, by the way. He doesn't understand how God works. But we need to understand how God works. This is not defeat. Because something happens when they're in that place. It says in verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know about you, but if I was just beaten, and this wasn't just a light beating. You know, the Jews' custom was it was no more than 39. Romans didn't have that custom. So who knows? It says many. Naked, possibly, thrown into the prison. They're in the inner prison. Forget about what you think a jail looks like now. This is like a cave underground, the inner prison. It's under the ground. It's dark. It's damp. It's cold. And they're sitting in stocks. Now, when we think of that, we think they're sitting in that thing we see where the feet are up. But from what I've heard, it's not that kind of thing. It's something that stretches you, and it's very uncomfortable. Plus, they're beaten. Who knows? They're bleeding. They're not in a good place. And it's at midnight, you know, the, the time of night where everything just seems the worst. What would we be doing? What would I be doing in that circumstance? Praying? Singing? Not just, and not just singing. Singing so loud, all the prisoners heard them. Now, mind you, they're in this inner thing, so they're singing loud. It's going through the walls. It's going through the corridors. When we were praising today, that's why I want to encourage you guys. Man, praise the Lord. It's all over Scripture. Shout it out, man, especially at a time like that. That's not the time for weak praise. No, they're praising God. At midnight, we need to learn. From those that have gone before us. The lessons God is teaching us here. And that many of us are learning now. Because there's power in it. There's power in prayer and praise. That comes out of a situation like this. And we're going to see that. Psalm 42. We see a testimony of this. In verse 5. Where the psalmist says. Why are you cast down O my soul? Why are you disquieted within you? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. For him, he's the help of my countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Milsar. The deep calls unto the deep at your waterfalls. In other words, remember his goodness. Remember his faithfulness. He hasn't changed 
from the time you were on the mountaintop, from the time there was uh, so-called blessings going on in your life. He's the same God now in this prison. He hasn't changed. His promises to you hasn't changed. His care for you hasn't changed. He's remembering. And it, it's so bad. Deep calls unto deep. At the no, That's a picture of like all nature just seemingly coming down on you. Your ways, bills have gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song will be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Psalm 119, 62 says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments, because everything you do is right. Even this place, I find myself in right now. Wherever you're in, whatever place you're in right now, God is righteous. Everything he does is right. And he has what we need in whatever moment we find ourselves in. And he wants us to pray to him. He wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to learn to worship him in those times. Corey Tamboom had to learn this lesson. A precious saint, her and her whole family during World War II, who God spoke to about taking in the Jews who were being taken away by the Nazis. And because they obeyed God, because they took in these Jewish people, they were ultimately thrown into a concentration camp. She lost her father. She watched her sister die. They lost everything. She found herself in hell. In Ravensbrück, a horrible concentration camp, jammed in there with these ladies, starving, working them to death, lice, you name it, all kinds of things. And she said this about her experience. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter, the truer, the more beautiful burned the word of God. She said, he uses our problems for his miracles. This was my first lesson in learning to trust him completely. That's what he's teaching us right now. He's teaching us to learn to trust him completely. What do we learn from this? We have a source of happiness that nothing No circumstance, no devil, no person can take from us. It's an inner happiness. Even a dungeon, even laying on cold earth, beaten, bruised. The true believer can be as happy as he was home laying in a nice bed of down. The enemies of Christians can't take away their peace. That surpasses all understanding. But we can give it away. But they can't take it. They may imprison our body, but they can't imprison our spirit. They may take away our earthly comforts, but they can't take away the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
And they cannot separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's not in the power of the wicked to make the righteous unhappy. Or prevent their rejoicing with exceeding joy. It's in our power to do those things. These persecutors tried to discourage these precious saints from preaching the gospel. From doing what God had told them to do. What God had called them to do. What did they do? Although they were in that inner prison, they prayed. And they sang to God. So loud, so heartily, that the prisoners heard them. Again, these weren't timid, half-hearted prayers and songs uh, that sprang forth mildly and loudly from these precious saints. Now, I don't doubt maybe that they started out timid. I mean, they were people just like us. You know, they're sitting there, they're hurting, they're cold, they're they're maybe doubting, whatever is going on. We see it in the Psalms, and maybe it starts out just talking to God, you know, just like, Lord, I know you called us to do this, but Lord, this is hard. We're cold. We're hurting. But God, I know you called us, Lord, and I know you're with us, Lord. And, and they're working through it, and but little by little, maybe they begin to pray in the Spirit because there are no words. And they just start praying in the Spirit, uttering things that only God knows. I've had to do that many times when there are no words and you just let the Spirit pray through you. But the more they're praying, the more they're praying, something's growing. Faith's arising. God is strengthening. God is pouring in His grace. And then all of a sudden, their mouths open. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! God, you're here! And, and something begins to change. Where does this come from? And they're shouting now. They're worshiping God. Nothing has changed yet. But something inside has. They prayed. I've been there many times, people. Just the other day, I shared with you, you know, I I was one of those times I felt like I was in the inner prison. I went down and I sat by the fire down in the woods and it started out kind of timid. But then it got louder and louder and then I was shouting into the woods. And I came up the hill (laughs) and it was like, all right, praise the Lord. Nothing had changed circumstantially, but God changed something in me because I simply chose. We have to choose. They had to choose to pray. They had to choose to worship. God exhorts us to call upon him. Psalm 50, verse 14 says, Offer to God thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, God says. I will deliver you. You will glorify me. Psalm 77, verse 1. I cried out to the Lord with my voice. He gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. That's a picture of just either laying on the floor or just raising our hands up to God, whatever, but all night to God. 
My soul refused to be comforted. I held on to Him. I clung to Him until I knew He heard me. Jesus modeled it for us. It says in Luke 22, verse 44, And being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. His sweat was as great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus agonizing in prayer. When the devil is throwing everything at him, he's in his prison and he's praying to the Father. It says about that in Hebrews 5, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Prayer is something the early church understood that was vital. It was vital in the life of the believer. It was vital in the church. It says about the early church, they continued steadfastly in prayers in Acts 2.42. That means they were serious about it. They attended to it diligently. And those words, prayer, prayers, prayed, praying, pray, are found 29 times in the book of Acts. And a review of the book of Acts will reveal that the early Christians knew how to engage in prayer. Prayer wasn't just a spiritual discipline. They practiced when things weren't going well or when someone was sick. You know, the things we just do. Prayer was part of them. It was their life. It was a foundational aspect of their faith. It was an expression of their devotion and their relationship with God. And the book of Acts records the mighty works of God through his church in its early years and clearly connects them to unified corporate prayer. And if we look at our world today, Christianity is in advancing in places like North, uh, Japan, uh, sorry, uh, Korea, China, India, Eastern Africa. But it's declining in other places like North America, Japan, Australia, Western Europe. The difference is there's prayer meetings that are continually going on in those countries where it's growing. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. E.M. Bounds said this, Faith deals with God. It is conscious of God. It deals with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it sees him as Savior. It deals with God's word. It lays hold of the truth. It deals with the Spirit of God and is energized and inspired by a holy fire, something that's not of me, something God has put inside of me, something he has put inside of you. Faith is not an aimless act of the soul, but a looking to God, a resting on his promises, just as hope and uh, love and hope have always an objective, so also has faith. Faith is just not believing anything. It's believing God. It's resting in him. It's trusting in his word. Lord, you said. You promised. 
You sent us. When we do that, we can begin to thank Him in all things. They praise God. We should give thanks in everything, the Bible says, right? And we really never lack matter for praise. Just what we celebrated today alone should cause us to praise and worship and thank Him forever. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Just that. Just that. But there's so many things we can praise and be thankful and express to God for. So many. They praise God. They praise God, really, that they were worthy to suffer for Him. You know, it's, we see that in the book of Acts. Where in Acts 5, uh, verse 40, or 42, it says, They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. That's what God's getting after in all of us. Because we can rejoice when we're being blessed and, you know, God answers a prayer and we should. That's nothing wrong with that. But God wants to get us to the place where we're rejoicing because we're suffering for his name's sake. We're being persecuted because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're suffering. Praise God that I can taste, I can share a little bit in his suffering. That's what they're rejoicing about. Rejoicing, praising God in our midnight hour does something. It moves heaven. There's something, you know why? It takes a deeper faith to do that. And so if a mustard seed of faith moves a mountain, what does that kind of faith do? Well, <laughs> we'll see. But we see a picture of it in, in Second Chronicles 20. I couldn't help but think of the story of Jehoshaphat. He's surrounded. He's got all these countries that are going to come and attack him. And what do they do? He says in verse, uh, this is Chronicles 20, verse 20. Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. You shall be established. Believe his prophets. Believe what he's spoken to you. You will prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. Wait a minute. That's not how you fight a battle. No, he appointed those who sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, and, and who had come against Judah and they were defeated. And it says a little later on, not one of them was left. We're told to rejoice and give thanks in all things. Praise is powerful. I, okay, you know, like Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we're troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Further down, he says, our light affliction, it's only for a moment. It's working a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Therefore, in Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice. Rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. 
James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 1 Peter 4, verse 14. If you are approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We want this. That, that sounds good. Well, that happens when you're persecuted. Somehow there's a greater aspect of that. When we're joyfully suffering for Christ and we're embracing it and we're holding faith and we're not uh, accusing God. We're blessing him. We're praising him. We're not doing like the children of Israel, forgetting how he delivered us, forgetting all he did. And then the minute we get into a hard place, oh, why did God bring me here? No, they're praising. They're holding faith. They're praying to him. They're crying out to him in faith. Well, something happens when we do that. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Talk about a picture of the prisoners, the captives being set free. Psalm 18, I couldn't help think of it. Like what, you know, you ever think like what happens in the spiritual realm? When God's children cry out. Well, here's a little picture. Psalm 18, verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. That sounds like a midnight hour prison prayer, right? But in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. My cry became before him, even to his ears. And then what happens? The earth trembled. (laughs) The earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills quaked, were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went out from his nostrils. A devouring fire from his mouth. Coals will kindle by it. He bowed the heavens. He came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherubim. He flew. He flew upon the wings of the the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed, passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe. Lightnings in abundance and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord. At the blast of your breath of your nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. From those who hated me. For they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me. Because he delighted in me. The Lord loves when his children believe him. And hold faith in him. And cry out to him. Especially in those darkest hours. Especially in those times. When we're in that prison. And we feel like all is lost. Or it seems that way. When we cry out to God. In faith in that way. 
that's pretty powerful. That's a really descriptive picture of God moving in the spiritual realm. That it actually translates somehow into the physical. And we see that many times in Scripture. The presence of God coming and it affects nature. That's what's happening here. God shows up. He's there. And now we see that power, that presence that has showed up in the prison begins to work in that prison. And you know what we see? It wasn't for their benefit. It wasn't about them. It was about all the people in this prison. It was about what God wasn't finished doing yet in that city. See, they had already benefited from the gospel. So this was actually for others that they were going through this. And their joy came from seeing God come to them. That's where our joy comes. It says in verse 27, the keeper of the prison awoke from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword. He was about to kill himself. Why? He knew. He was charged by his, his, uh, his uppers, you know, his commanders. You better keep these men guarded. And if they got thrown away, we see what happens, what Herod did with the guys that <laughs> let Peter get away. Um, he would have died a gruesome death. So he's thinking, it's it. It's over. And he goes kill. And Paul screams out, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Paul stops him. He calls for a light. He runs in. He falls down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, let's get a picture of this. He's on his knees. He's trembling. He's maybe holding Paul. Sir, what must I do to be saved? Something's changed. Now, for some reason, he's concerned about his soul. Not just his life. He's con- what must I do to be saved? And Paul comforts him in this as well. Whatever the cause, the Spirit of God, we know, was sent to convince so that he could be a comforter. The Spirit of God struck terror in this man. It startled him. This all from two men who chose to pray and praise God in the midst of their suffering. There's something about praying, guys. Ladies, singing, laying hold of God. That's what he's calling us to do. There's something about it. Our culture, what is happening right now in our generation, demands it. God is looking for people to lay hold of him in this way. Powerful things happen when God's people lay hold of him like that. It reminded me of, you know, the revivals of the past. One, the Hebrides, which you've all heard, when God stepped down from heaven in 1949 because people were crying out. It says the things of earth took second place. An awareness of God was felt everywhere. That's what was going on in this prison. 
You felt his presence, his power on the meadow, on the moorland. You met him in the homes of the people. God was everywhere. You could not escape him. Conviction was so intense. People couldn't sleep. Normal activities were halted. And the lost men and women were crying out to God, terrified to face him for their sins. Strong seamen were weeping behind their boats. There was no quenching of our desire for the Lord and the things of God. There was no need to entertain or to put on any special program at the church. We were just hungry for the word of God. It was a supernatural moving of God's spirit that, so that the community suddenly becomes conscious of the moving of God beginning amongst his own people. Beginning with his own people. And then the others who were suddenly gripped with a divine terror. They pled to God for mercy. Their only thought was to find relief for their souls. That's what this guy's in right now. Historically, revival always begins with his people. God's desire is to make his glory known to the church within the ultimate objective of revealing himself to those who otherwise will face him in judgment. He wants to heal the lamb, but he waits for his people to do their part. This was a truth that the praying saints understood living on the Isle of Lewis, one in the group of islands making up the Scottish Hebrides. Thus, in unyielding resolve... They covenanted with their God that they would prepare the way for him to make known his manifest presence in their community. That's what we're believing God for. But it's not going to come without opposition. And we're going to have to learn how to pray and praise him in the midst of it. So back to the jailer. He's willing to do anything. You won't be trying to convince this guy of his need for salvation. (laughs) Tell me, what must I do? I wish people would come to see us and just say that. Tell me, what must I do? Okay, do this, this, this. Okay, you got it. I'm here. I'm ready to do it. Please. Put me in any way, but if it be the right way and the sure way, the narrow, the thorny, the uphill, I will walk in it. I don't care what I have to go through. Those who are thoroughly convinced of sin and truly concerned about their salvation will surrender to Jesus Christ. They will be glad to have him on his own terms. Any terms. Such a picture of what true repentance looks like. Godly sorrow. It proves itself by what the person does. We need more of this today. This is what we need today. This is what we need in our conversion of souls. Not an add-on Jesus to my life. And that only happens when the reality of our condition before a holy God is made real by Him and Him alone. So verse 37, they said... They told him what to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved in thy house. In other words, they were ready. They knew what to tell them. We need to be ready. We need to know what to tell them. They're cold. They're sore. They're sleepy. They didn't say, oh, not now, man. I've already had a rough night. 
We'll talk about it in the morning. No, when it was hot, when the Holy Spirit was hot on their hearts, they knew, no, now is the hour of salvation, right now. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter what kind of day I had. Doesn't matter. This person is ready. They're asking me. And we need to share it in season and out of season. In faith, in the power of God to pierce their hearts. That's what we're saying, aren't we? God, I'm here. Use me. Send me. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him, verse 32, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. And now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced having believed in God with all of his household. Praise the Lord. Just think about that. A few hours ago, they're sitting in prison supposedly, you know, stopped from doing what God has called them to do. It seems hopeless, maybe. A few hours later, everything's different. There's people getting saved. Who knows how many prisoners, if not all of them, got saved. And now they're rejoicing around the table. They're eating. That's what God's like. That's what it's like when sinners repent. We'll be rejoicing. We'll forget What we went through, the pleading, the nights that we're crying out to God, the hardships, it it, it just washes away. We're just happy to see someone else getting what we already have. And then that just makes you want to suffer more for him and for others. Because you see, it's worth it. How do you think Jesus did it? What a turn of events. See, those persecutors, they, they tried to stop the progress of the gospel, that no more would embrace it. They hoped to ruin that meeting they were having by the riverside, that no more hearts would be open there. But here we find converts in the prison, the house, all trophies of the gospel, victories erected right there in the midst of that situation. So it made me think about Luke 4, 18 and 19, because that's what happened. The Spirit of the Lord was upon them. It's like he's upon us. It's like he was upon Jesus because he anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor, sent us to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what's happening here, and it's powerful. God's calling us to persevere, even in the midst of opposition, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. He's teaching us to pray. He's teaching us to give thanks in all things, to trust him so that he can unleash his power and his glory in this hour. When you are tempted to lose heart and you find it hard to pray, to give thanks, as you suffer for Christ... Just remember him. Just remember him. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged. 
in your souls. Read Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is like the ultimate picture of this. Because it's Jesus in his darkest hour when they're crucifying him. It's a description of it, but yet the glories and the praise and the worship that comes out of it. I would encourage you to read through that psalm in light of what we were hearing today. Let's choose to be steadfast in prayer. Let's choose to give thanks to sing praise to the Lord, even though we enter into that midnight soul or that midnight hour of the soul. Let's choose to do that. God will begin to open prison doors when we do. He'll begin to open blind eyes. He'll begin to heal, to restore. His gospel will go forth in power. And so as I was thinking about how to end today, I was just praying, Lord, how do, how do we wrap this up? He's like, pray and worship me. So that's what we're going to do. All right? I want to encourage you guys, whatever you're going through today or whatever situation you find in, let's take what we heard today and let's believe God. But as we pray, we're going to be praying for the prisoners. We're going to pray for God's glory to be revealed in our situations, in our community. We're going to pray in faith, and then we're going to praise him and worship him and just trust him to move the mountains, to shake the prison, to open the eyes. So let's go into this time now with that in our minds, okay? So, Lord, I thank you that you're calling us, Lord, to walk in faith, a, a, a deeper level of that, a faith that can pray and rejoice in the valleys, in the caves, where it seems like there's no light, where it seems like there's no hope, where it seems like things are just worse instead of getting better. That's You're, you're looking for that. You're looking for that kind of faith. It doesn't matter what's going on in our society. It doesn't matter how many are against us. It doesn't matter how difficult people seem today. You are greater than that. There's nothing too hard for you. And Lord, you're calling us to, to walk in faith. You're calling us to pray in faith, to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're calling us to worship you and to thank you for what's already been done by you, Lord. So God, I pray as we enter into this time, you would empower us just like you did them. This isn't something that comes from our own working ourselves up. It comes from the Spirit of God. So Holy Spirit, stir us now to pray. Stir our hearts. Remind us of your goodness. Remind us of your faithfulness. Remind us of your promises, Lord. I pray, Lord, it will come up to your throne room today and that you would move for the sake of of the prisoners, for the sake of the blind, for the sake of those taken captive, Lord. That's what it's all about. It's for your namesake, it's for your glory, and it's for souls. So, Lord, just be with us now as we enter into this time. In Jesus' name.